You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. When you look at the two ends of your reproductive years, you have puberty and there's a whole bunch of changes that happen when you get exposed to estrogen and progesterone. So your body composition changes, your bones change, everything changes. And on the other end, in perimenopause, you have the same thing as this downward slide. So what we want to do is we want to look what kind of external stress can we put on the body that will cause an adaptation the way the hormones used to support us. And in puberty, we're looking at external stresses to support the body so that it can change with these hormone influences. And I, and I realize so many people don't think back to be like, oh yeah, puberty is awful because you're getting estrogen progesterone and you're having all these changes. Then you get to the other end and people are like, oh my gosh, perimenopause, menopause is awful because you're having all these changes. It's like, yes. So we see the influence of hormones, but now we know we can do something about it. That was Dr. Stacy Sims. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with the leading global expert on female physiology and training, Dr. Stacy Sims. Stacy Sims is one of the brightest minds in science and nutrition in the endurance sports world and beyond. She is an applied researcher, innovator, and entrepreneur in human performance, specifically sex differences in training, nutrition, and environmental conditions. Stacy is the author of the top-selling book, Roar, published in 2016, which was number one on Amazon, where she talks about how to match your food and fitness to your female physiology for optimal performance. In Roar, Stacy explains sex differences in training and nutrition, which really challenges the existing dogma for women in exercise, nutrition, and health. Stacy also talks about hormones, our menstrual cycle and how women require different nutrition and are clearly wired very differently. And yes, we can work out and race during our periods. She also has an incredible TED talk on why women are not small men. And we talk about all of this in our first conversation back on episode 204. Today, Stacey and I are talking about her amazing new book, Next Level, and doing a deep dive into how hormones, menopause, and postmenopause impact our physiology and exercise performance, and how we can leverage nutrition, exercise, and training to work for us not against us. Stacy demystifies carb fueling and why it's so important for women. She also shares why female athletes should not be intermittent fasting. Of course, we talk about how to optimize performance during and post-menopause, which hormones we should all be watching, exercise you definitely need to be doing, and the nutrition, and the nutrition you should certainly add to your diet. In addition to her books, Stacy offers online courses and education for coaches, athletes, nutritionists, doctors, and more. 
If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to wherever you get your Apple podcasts. Click on the podcast, Marnie on the Move. Scroll through the episodes, click on the five stars, and then leave a review. Click on the button that says leave a review and tell us what you love about the podcast. Also, as always, please share this on your social. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, your feed, your LinkedIn, wherever you like to get social, and tag us. We'll tag you back. Now, on to my conversation with Stacy. Your new book, Next Level, is eye-opening and it really made me think a lot about my nutrition, my performance, and just generally my hormones. What inspired you to write this book and what's the overall idea behind it? Gosh, there's it's kind of a twofold thing. I was in my early to mid-30s and I was at Stanford. I switched into working with Marsha Stefanik, who's the PI for Women's Health Initiative. So the big massive a menopause study that was looking at hormone replacement therapy and physical activity and stuff. And I still had one hand in human performance. So I had a, a foot in each door because uh, I was trying to see what kinds of stuff we can do in human performance that might help women in menopause or perimenopause with hot flashes and all those symptoms. So I started really learning about it. And I worked with um, this woman, Freddie Cronenberg, who was one of the top complementary alternative medicine investigators from Columbia, and she came over and did a sabbatical. So it was all the stuff that was going on. And then when we launched Roar, had so many questions about menopause because we only had one chapter in there. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of people asking questions. And I was able to answer them because of all the work that I had been doing at Stanford. And I realized that this information wasn't out there. And there's so many things to do that are simple just to change up training and nutrition and support the body the way the hormones used to, that would really help so many women. And Celine and I were talking about it and took a while to actually get the approval for it. And I think the tipping point for it was when Celine started going through all this stuff and she emailed me, she goes, what the the hell? And I was like, do this, 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 this. And she changed it up. And I think it's in the forward, right? And she's like, I went, I changed this stuff up and I was like, now, now I can write this book. I believe in this so we can do this. Yeah. And I was like, great. And in my head, I was like, why do people not know this? I don't understand because I was so in the bubble of it. Yeah. And then when I step outside and start getting questions and then my teammates from early race days were now becoming coaches and they wanted to stay fit. But then all of a sudden within six months, they could keep up with the riders on easy rides. And they're like, right. what's going on? So that was, yeah, it's a, it's the same. It's like stuff happening in your life and answering questions for myself and other people. And then really finding that there's the demand for it. And then boom, we, we get the okay. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, it's really amazing. I, I mean, it's really amazing how like when you're younger and you hear about menopause and you hear about your body changing physically from like your muscle mass to your hormones to everything, it's such a hard concept to grasp. And you think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. And I I feel like I thought that too. And then like it starts to happen to you and you're like, I am doing everything I can that I've always done that moves me forward. But like those things, they're not working anymore. Right. And you feel like you're 
fighting all the time. You're like, why is it such a fight? Yeah. Like I'm not motivated. I am hitting a brick wall. I'm trying to do all these things and nothing's working. That's why it's so important, right, for women to work with their physiology when it comes to even optimizing their athletic performance and being connected to their physiology and to knowing what's going on. Yeah, I like to tell people that when you look at the two ends of your reproductive years, you have puberty and there's a whole bunch of changes that happen when you get exposed to estrogen and progesterone. So your body composition changes, your bones change, everything changes. And on the other end, in perimenopause, you have the same thing as this one start to downward slide. Right. So what we, what we want to do is we want to look what kind of external stress can we put on the body that will cause an adaptation the way the hormones used to support us. And in puberty, we're looking at external stresses to support the body so that it can change with these hormone influences. Right. And I, and I realize so many people don't think back to be like, oh, yeah. Puberty is awful because you're getting estrogen, progesterone, and you're having all these changes. And then you get to the other end, and people are like, oh, my gosh, perimenopause, menopause is awful because you're having all these changes. It's like, yes. So we see the influence of hormones, but now we know we can do something about it. Yeah. And so what are the hormones that we need to watch and why as women? So there's a lot of discussion first around testosterone, but it's not a, a huge thing that happens in perimenopause because we have relatively stable testosterone levels that start to decline. That said, there are some women who have lots of symptoms and they end up with a misstep in their testosterone. But the main ones are estrogen and progesterone. Right. So we know that est- estrogen, E2, estradiol is women's testosterone. So it's anabolic in nature. It helps us build lean mass, keep lean mass helps with blood glucose control, helps with um, blood vessel compliance, uh, cardiovascular fitness, or thermoregulation. Um, and then we also have the other side of, of ovulation is progesterone. And progesterone is the antagonist of estrogen, but it also has specific um, guess, jobs in the body. So we know that it can be calming to the brain, but it also increases our respiratory rate, our heart rate, changes our immune system. And it also is responsible for um, blood sugar control and glucose homeostasis with estrogen. With estrogen as well, it's responsible for bone mineral density and turnover. So when we start to lose those, we start to see every system of the body. All right. Hope you are enjoying this conversation. Just jumping in here to give a shout out to today's sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move or use our code cheers Marnie. Also, shout out to series partners, Revitin. Revitin is my go-to when it comes to toothpaste and oral health. I have been using it for years. Revitin is a prebiotic toothpaste that is an all-natural vitamin and mineral-rich formulation that gently cleanses, whitens teeth, and freshens breath while helping to restore gums and reduce harmful plaque. It's free of SLS, synthetic detergents, 
or additives and contains no harsh chemicals, fluoride, artificial colors, sweeteners, or dyes. Created by biologic dentist Dr. Jerry Curatola years ago when he recognized the need for a new and effective oral care product that could support sustainable health within the mouth. Revitin fosters a balanced oral environment with beneficial microorganisms that optimize nutrient absorption and act as the body's first line of defense. The oral microbiome is the gateway to optimal full body health. So make sure you take care of it with a great toothpaste that does not have fluoride or harmful chemicals. Get started now with Revitin Prebiotic Toothpaste. Use our code MARNIE15 at Revitin.com to jumpstart your health. That's M-A-R-N-I-1515 at Revitin, R-E-V-I-T-I-N.com. Now, back to our conversation. I don't know if there are any foods that you could eat that help to bring these levels back to a good point for optimal performance or if you have to take hormones and do hormone replacement therapy, like have you, like what are your thoughts on that? So the way that I look at at, um, taking hormones, we call it menopause hormone therapy. So we keep the nomenclature nomenclature of hormone replacement therapy and everyone that they're in a deficiency. We need to replace these hormones, but they have different effects in the body than our natural hormones. So when we think about menopause hormone therapy, it will help with vasomotor symptoms. It will help with brain fog. It will help with vaginal dryness. It will help with improper and, and mixed up sleep, but it does not help with body composition. Okay. It will slow the rate of decline, but it does not instigate increased lean mass. It doesn't really help with changing that visceral fat gain or that abdominal fat gain. Okay. It'll slow the rate of these changes, but it doesn't stop it. Okay. So when we look at what do we need to do, we look at, okay, first we need to change our training and nutrition, and then we can layer things in like DIM, which is the um, main component of cruciferous vegetables. So we can take it as a pill or we can let, eat a whole bunch of broccoli and cauliflower, okay. which isn't that but that helps with estradiol metabolism. So it takes the weaker estrogen, estrone, mm-hmm. which becomes the dominant estrogen in postmenopause, and helps convert it back to estradiol. Okay. So that helps it. And perimenopause as well, it helps with the ratio of estradiol to testosterone. Right. So if there's too much, then it'll help convert it to testosterone. We can look at using adaptogens because if we're looking at using ashwagandha, or we're looking at using holy basil or rhodioli or rhodiola, all of these will help with menopausal symptoms, but they also help support our hormones. So it increases the sensitivity of some of our estrogen receptors and can decrease the sensitivity of others if we get into estrogen dominance. Okay. So there are specific things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And then if you're still having lots and lots of menopausal symptoms, that's when you start talking to your doctor about using hormone therapy. Because it is a therapy that can be used in conjunction with the changes you're making in training and nutrition, but it's not the panacea where you take it and you don't have to do anything and you're going to go back to how you were in your early days. Right. And, and I mean, the role that E2 plays in our physiology is so important. So, and you talk about this in your book, what is that role and why we need to look at it? <laughs> yeah. So again, E2 or estradiol, which is our dominant female hormone. 
it is so critical for blood vessel compliance. So we talk about the lining of our blood vessels, the endothelial cells. Right. They are triggered for congestion and relaxation through an interaction of estrogen and um, nitric oxide. So when you start to lose estrogen, you get less blood vessel compliance. So you don't have as much or as fast to control for constriction and dilation. So this has a play in increased blood pressure, uh, higher heart rates, and of course, hot flashes. But the other thing about estrogen is it specifically affects the myosin protein and the myosin actin um, contractile proteins of the muscle. Okay. So we start to lose estrogen, then we start to lose the integrity of that myosin filament. So when we're looking at, well, what do we do to maintain that integrity? This is where we start looking at lifting heavy. Right. So we want lift heavy or neuromuscular connection. It's not a cardiovascular workout. We want the nerve to come to the muscle fibers and recruit as many as it can to have a really strong contraction to lift that load. If we do that, we maintain the integrity of myosin. We also get the signaling to keep building myosin and keep building lean mass. But if we look at some of the typical resistance training that's out there and recommended of our 10 to 15 reps, it doesn't do that. Right. It splits fiber, but it doesn't increase the myosin integrity or really encourage muscle protein synthesis. So you need to it do will. seriously heavy lifting with like a barbell in right. in the gym. Uh, yeah. Safely. You can, yeah. Dumbbells. Yeah. you can use dumbbells. Dumbbells. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's all relative, right? Yeah. So if you're, if you're just starting out on this, then you're going to be lighter. And as you get better form and movement and mechanics, then you start adding load. Um, and people are really hesitant. Oh, I'm going to put weight on. I'm going to bulk up. It's going to slow down my cycling and running, but it's not. No. Because no. one, we, we can't really build that much lean mass anyway. Right. And that's the other thing. Right. And you have to eat a lot to build muscle. And endurance athletes don't. Don't. And if you're doing it, you're not going to get bulky. And it's not going to slow you down on the bike or the run. The strength that you develop and the coordination and balance that you develop is definitely going to help, especially in the back half of the bike and when you get off to run in a triathlon. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, like, I always say this. I've been saying this for probably five to six years that I need to strength train. And I did a little bit, but then I stopped. But it, does, it hasn't stuck. I know you love it. I know. It's, it's going to be game-changing for everything, for, like, my health, for my training, for my racing – and I, and I know that a lot of my listeners are like in the gym lifting heavy and especially the triathletes. What role does testosterone play for women? How does that affect our lives and performance? Yeah, so testosterone is a low dose in women. So it's not like lean mass building, right? right. It, it's more of a stabilizer. Yeah. So it works with estrogen and progesterone as a stabilizer. Um, it helps with mood. It yeah. helps a little bit metabolic control, <clears throat> but it's not the same as it is in men. Right. So we're not going to get this massive um, anabolic stimulus from testosterone if we take testosterone. We get that from estradiol. Yes. Okay. Got it. So what do you have like a recommendation of, I'm sure people can go to their doctor and get their levels tested. If mm -hmm. you like, you go to your OBGYN or, you know, you, I don't even know if a medical doctor, like, or just a general practitioner does that, but did you, are there any, um, 
how do you recommend people get tested? Like what tests should they ask for at their doctor's office? Yeah, it's, it's hard because you need to have um, the ability to see trends. So you need to have blood tests like every month or on the same day of the cycle in order to see what the trends are. Yeah. If you don't have that, because most of us don't, then you can look to get a 21-day progesterone and estrogen test. So it's day 21 of your cycle. And I know that cycles are pretty irregular now, but yeah. still day 21 from the first day of bleed. And that will show you if you're anovulatory or if you are ovulatory, is it viable in producing enough progesterone or if you're becoming estrogen dominant? And it's a it's a really good indication of what your hormones are doing. But the other thing is getting a luteinizing hormone test. Because if your luteinizing hormone is dropped really low, then that means you're not going to ovulate. Okay. So those are the three that you really want to <clears throat> ask for. And it's time sensitive. So it is the typical 21-day progesterone test and luteinizing hormone. And you have to do it multiple times or? You can get that one off if you okay. don't have the trend. Because also, then, I mean, there's a company called the the Dutch test, right? You know that yeah. test. That's, yeah. I mean, it's not inexpensive, but you can, but you have to have somebody who can read it. So like you can order right. it. I don't know if they read it for you and explain it to you, but there's different ways of checking your hormones with the different tests that they offer. Yeah, I've seen some of their output and it's very generalized. Okay. Whereas if you're an endocrinologist or even your GP that knows you. Yeah then there's better conversation around it because when you get the results of the Dutch test, it's more geared for people who are looking for fertility help okay. in their output. Okay. So if you do get it, it'll give you absolute numbers and then you can bring that to a specialist and be like, hey, I got this. Can I follow this up? It's a good place to start, but don't read into their the Dutch test um, interpretations. Okay. And do you do, because I know like there's some tests that are blood focused and some that are saliva focused. And so do you have like other, is there, obviously I know there's a science behind why you do which ones, what do you prefer? I'm about the blood test because the uh, science and the saliva testing isn't that robust because it's still relatively new. If you're doing trends, then saliva is good. But if you're looking for absolutes to be like, hey, what's going on here? Blood test is the way to go. Okay. So, and you think you should, if you can, like, if you have the opportunity to get a couple tests over a period of time, yeah, it's good to test it so you can analyze the trends because it's not always going to be the same number and you don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And then that's the first step. And then, you know, once you start doing all these other things, you check back. And even, you know, I think even if you're in, if you're post-menopause, like it's good to know your levels because it just doesn't end just because you're in menopause, correct? Well, menopause is that one day on the calendar, right? right? So you have menopause that leads up to it. Menopause is the one day on the calendar and then you have post-menopause. Now with post-menopause, your estradiol and progesterone are going to be bottom. They're going to be tapped out. So you're going to get yeah. really, really low. But you want to look at what your estrone is doing. So they can measure estrone, which is the weaker estrogen. If you have a high level of estrone, then you really need to look at taking DIM so they can convert more of that into estradiol. If you have a moderate level, then that's okay because your body can help them with that. Okay. Awesome. That's super helpful. And then in terms of all the things that come along with, you know, we talked about muscle building and neural stimulation. When your hormones start to shift, so do your, you know, and as we age, our mitochondria 
start to go disappear, which is another really important part of, you know, longevity and, you know, staying healthy and fit. So maybe talk to me a a little bit about that as well, because I feel like I just have been seeing the word mitochondria everywhere. Talk to me about the mitochondria. (laughs) When you do exercise, right, you develop more mitochondria. But as we get older, we have more of an oxidative status. So as we get older, we're doing high intensity work or high intensity aerobic work, and we are really taxing our bodies. Then we end up with a higher oxidative count. So we need to counter that. This is where we're looking at eating a wide variety of fruit and veg to counter it. When we're looking at some of the literature behind, you know, a lot of the mitochondrial conversation right now has come out of fasting. But when we look at the literature, we see that exercise is stronger stress for developing and keeping mitochondria because you have muscle memory. And for women, we are already predisposed to have more Mm -hmm. from a sex at birth. The fact that when you're XX, you have a greater amount of mitochondria in the muscle, as well as greater number of proteins within the mitochondria to burn fatty acids, which then encourages more mitochondria. So when we're looking at the health and longevity and people start trying to put in all these practices of like zone two training to increase mitochondria or doing fasted and that kind of stuff. It doesn't work for women, especially peri to postmenopausal women, because again, it's based on male data and our bodies are different and respond differently. Right. You talk about in your book, how it's so important to do VO2 max workouts and training And also just that intense cardio alternating back and forth between intensities as a woman going through postmenopause or in these years. Yeah. So the ideas behind it is polarized training. So we're talking about that top end sprint interval training and then a little bit longer intervals and high intensity interval training. Both of those stimulate the top end, which causes a signal and an adaptation to maintain power and explosiveness, mm-hmm. which we lose. It increases our growth hormone and, and anti-inflammatory and antioxidative status. It also has a, a, a play for an epigenetic change to increase our ability to uh, pull glucose in okay. and maintain better blood glucose levels. Because when we get into perimenopause, we become more insulin resistant. So we want to do that high intensity to increase the amount of these um, proteins in the muscle called GLUT4 mm-hmm. that allow the carbohydrate and the glucose to come in without insulin or minimal insulin. So the more that we have the GLUT4, the less we're reliant on insulin, which is good when we are insulin resistant. Right. And so that is something that whether you're a triathlete or a runner or a cyclist or endurance athlete or just somebody who's taking yoga classes a couple times a week, you got to incorporate that into your fitness program somehow. Super important. It's important as strength training. Yeah. Right. And I can hear all the endurance people going, what? No, (sighs) I don't want to do that. I want to go out for my three hour ride. I have these, this, I got to put time on my feet because I'm running an ultra. Yeah. It's like when we look at it, coaching hasn't really caught up yet with the science and most protocols still are based on young men. Yeah. We start looking at those physiological changes that are happening. Again, we need an external stress that's going to keep us moving forward. It's not about long, slow distance. Our bodies, by, like I said, by being XX, are already really well predisposed to going long and slow. This is why we see such an uptick in ultra endurance 
competitions of women who are in their mid to late 40s onward. I mean, let's just face it. Women can do anything for a long period of time and they can go the distance. That's how we're built. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, we're not going to wimp out at 100 miles. No, no, no. But we need to look at at how we're maintaining our coordination, our balance, our strength. This is where the strength training with high intensity work comes into play. So the way I like to tell people is during the week when we're time pressed, this is where we're focusing on heavy resistance training. We're doing our sprint interval stuff. Uh, And then on the weekend, you are polarizing, doing something really slow and easy. Yeah. And you're dropping volume, maintaining intensity. And all of it feeds forward to your race. Because if you think about the schematics of like a 70.3 or a Ironman or an ultra run, you need to have strength and stamina and balance and coordination to take it through the back of the race. And that's what the high intensity and strength does. I love that my my coach has recently, and he's been giving me a lot of VO2 workouts on the bike. I love it. I'm having so much fun on Zwift. And he's got yeah. me doing a lot of it, which I was really psyched because I was reading your book and I'm like, oh, good, I'm doing this. And then I started doing some heavy lifting, like took a Peloton class the other day because that's not heavy lifting, but I decided to lift heavier weights and I was sore for five days. I was like, that was not a good idea. That was, I went a little too heavy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why it's like, phase it in, phase it in. Because yeah. it might take, you know, three or four months to actually get to the loads that you think that you should be starting with. But we don't want you to get injured or any of that. No, yeah. I definitely don't need any injuries. During the pandemic, my entire nutrition changed for training and racing. And I, based on our last conversation, have eliminated gels. So thank you. That has been Yay! super helpful. But I have now replaced them with chews and bars and things like that, which I need. And I'm learning a lot about my body and what works for me in terms of fueling And obviously, you know, I've used Super Sapiens and I see which things have a more steady build and for my glucose levels and, you know, how much carbohydrates I can take in on any given training day. But I know I'm not alone. Like so many people's nutrition has changed during the pandemic and what worked for you in the past, like doesn't work for you now. So in addition to physically affecting our you know, performance as athletes, it also, your hormones changing also tremendously impact your nutrition and your gut. So what's happening here? Yes. So estrogen and progesterone, again, are responsible for glucose homeostasis or, you know, levels of blood glucose and your body's ability to take in a, a, a big glucose load and not like fall off the deep end. Yeah. When you start to drop your hormones, you lose that control, which is why we have more insulin resistance. And then when you're looking at what's happening at the gut microbiome, uh, some of the metabolites from those bacteria actually encourage the, I guess, the balance of estrogen progesterone. So when you're losing those, you're also changing the diversity of your gut microbiome. And you, it's kind of a, a negative feedback. You don't have the hormones, so then you're not getting the bacteria that's going to support their development and, and their, um, I guess, their ratio of, of balance. Right. So we're talking about, well, how do we change it? How do we increase the diversity? Because we're not getting the signaling to you know, keep that diversity. And this is where you're looking at eating lots of colorful fruit and veg. Right. Because we want to feed that deep gut bacteria. 
And like I, I think we talked about it on the mm. first podcast about too much simple sugars increases the growth of the Firmicutes phyla, yes. which then increases the cereal fat and, and negative body composition change. So that's kind of what's happening. When we're losing our hormones, we're starting to get more growth of, of the Firmicutes phyla that again, encourages the cereal fat and uh, more subcutaneous fat. So if we're eating lots of colorful fruit and veg, we're encouraged in growth of the bacteriotes, which is the bacteria phyla that we want that really works to maintain blood glucose control, works for brain health, works for maintaining lean mass. So are getting all the metabolites and signaling to encourage a better body composition and better brain health. You do a deep dive into all of this in your book, and I highly recommend everyone read your book and get a copy. And it's great. I love how you talk about broccoli and Brussels sprouts are important for hormone management, which yes, I love yeah. broccoli and Brussels sprouts. So that made me feel like I could add – I immediately added them to our like three times a week minimum. I mean, it's nice. not the season to eat Brussels sprouts, but you know. It's all good. They're prolific in our grocery stores in the winter down here, but yeah, yeah, probably not so much up in Northern Hemisphere in the middle of summer. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think it's really important that there's just so many things that you can do that you can eat that can help you with all of this. And so many athletes are, they don't realize that there's, they're not eating enough of these foods and maybe they're not even eating enough to fuel their training. So, right. I mean, and you also talk about that in your book, believe in the whole calories in, calories out, or, you know, what's your thought process on that? No. Okay. For women, it's more important about the timing of nutrition, because if we don't fuel before we go training, then we get an increased cortisol and we also get a signal to the hypothalamus that we don't have a lot of nutrition so it's going to start going, we need to conserve. When we see changes in, in liver, um, some of the genes within the liver, that get upregulated to store everything. Anything that comes in, so you have more signaling for storing all the, the, the calories from fat and protein. So when we're looking at what we need to do for women is we need to train in a fueled state. And then we also need to recover within 30 to 45 minutes with a good dose and, and peri and postmenopause, it's closer to 40 grams of protein because we're having some anabolic um, resistance because estrogen is playing a bit crazy. And we need more circulating amino acids because we have an elevated stress state from increased cortisol. If we don't recover, then our body stays in a breakdown state. And it still has a signal that, hey, we need to conserve and we need to break down lean mass because it's it's highly energetic. So if you are trying to build mass and get stronger, you need to fuel for what you're doing. Right. That's the first thing that you need to really think about. And fueling doesn't mean massive meals. It's maybe 150, 100 to 150 calories of protein with some carbohydrate beforehand. And then you're looking at that 40 gram with some carbohydrate afterwards and then a real meal if you want, or you can have your real meal as soon after training as you can. And then when we're talking about overall calories, even if you're not hungry, you still need to remember to eat. 
And we're looking at what are you reaching for? The best guideline so far I've seen is that for every meal, you're getting around 30 grams of protein and a whole bunch of colorful fruit and veg. And then for every snack, it's around 15 grams of protein. So when you parse that out, you're getting regular doses of amino acids, but then you add in your training food. And then that gives you a really good baseline of what you need to be eating in a day. But if we don't eat enough, then we start to put on belly fat. We start to get brain fog. We start to get um, lots of fatigue. We lose our lean mass, which are also symptoms of perimenopause. Right. So we don't want to encourage that, yeah. right? Because yeah. we already are trying to fight that. So if you're eating, then you can help counter that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, and I know where you stand on intermittent fasting and it's been ingrained in me since we had our conversation. Every time I talk to someone and they mention it, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Is that good for women? Because I know someone who doesn't think so. And I think I kind of agree with her. By nature, I wake up, I have coffee and then I'm not hungry. You know, I'm not hungry for a couple hours and then I'm totally screwed because I'm supposed to do a run And then I'm scrambling to eat something so that I can have some fuel to go on my run. But yeah, but but I know that's that for women, like intermittent fasting is not good if you're an athlete or just all women. For all women, they've even started like on the the general health line and WebMed, and they're already posting it's not beneficial for women. I was like, finally, because there's no data to support it, and the data that is there shows that women don't have the same outcomes as men and it's actually more harmful right unless you're obese sedentary and really need to lose weight quickly and they're saying calorie restriction so you know not having snacks after dinner is the best way to actually lose weight and get better sleep when you're talking about not being hungry when you wake up yeah i'm, I'm talking even... about that first sorry yeah yeah no, no that's fine i'm so i i don't get hungry to like noon yeah and I've always been that way I'm not like breakfast give or take but you know I get up I do training and I start the day and I have all that busyness so I make myself um coffee with protein powder in it oh that's smart yeah so it's because I usually have an almond flat white anyway okay so now um two shots of espresso almond milk little maple sugar protein powder I also put my creatine and my adaptogens in there. And so that's my morning. That's what I have in the morning. So you take creatine. Got it. Yeah. 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 And that's, it's a very low dose for brain health. And the adaptogens and mushrooms I use are all for brain health as well. Lion's mane, Um, ashwagandha. Yeah. And that's primarily because I've, I've had quite a few concussions in my life. Right. Um, Yeah. So then I do that and, and, I, it gets me through, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, I am a bit hungry. Then I'll eat. And so I've started eating earlier. So maybe about 1030, I'll have breakfast. Okay. Um, so it's just getting that a lot of us fall into, I just want coffee. And then that fills you up. Yeah. And then it's to your brain, you're not hungry because your stomach feels full. So putting some nutrition into that coffee significantly helps. Yeah. And it also- a Great idea. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. It's super easy. I mean, I put yeah. so I always put adaptogens in my coffee. So that's really smart to put some protein powder in. Like maybe not the full scoop, but just a little to get your body working. And I you know, you talk about in your book the magic macronutrient mix as we age and start 
getting into our menopausal stages. What is it? I mean, is there one? I, I mean, like everybody's different, right? So. Yep. Everyone's different. The, the emphasis becomes on protein and people are like, that's so much protein. I can't get in all that protein. So if you're thinking that the recommendation is 1.7 to 2.4 grams per kilogram. So you're looking at a 130 pound person having 140 to 150 grams of protein. And that becomes overwhelming. Yeah. People are like, whoa. So the first step again is parsing it out around 30 grams at each meal, have some in every snack, and then your training food. And that brings you up to where you need to be. And that's but also like protein, protein, like protein powder and smoothies are great additions for athletes. I yeah. mean, yeah, because you can only eat so much. Exactly. And a lot of people who are putting more plant-based stuff or following more plant-based diet get too full before they actually have put in enough nutrients. Really? So if you're doing smoothies or you're adding in some um, protein powder into maybe your eggs or protein powder into whatever you're doing, you're just topping up that real food first, but there is definitely a time and a place for supplementing with protein powders. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. What are you doing to stay fit right now? Well, I've just gotten back from a little over two months of travel. Oh, so wow. that was just fitness center in the hotel using the dumbbells and doing some treadmills, sprints or running and doing intervals on the road, doing some home, you know, at home travel wads, dropping into a gym now and then. But now that I'm home, kind of back in the normal routine, a couple of swims a week, a couple of runs a week, a couple of rides a week, and then an emphasis on gym work. Yeah. Because yes. being in it, I yeah. lost a lot of muscle mass. I think I came back five pounds lighter than when I left. Oh, really? Yeah. Got to get back were into the gym. Were you doing a book tour or were you? No, the borders opened and my mom hadn't seen my kid in the three years and just really wanted to go and also have in-person work meetings and open up a calendar and have normal business hours. Yeah. So all of that. So got a lot of work done there. Yeah. Um, but it was hard of like travel, work, parenting, yeah. all those kinds of things. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're back. You're back to your yeah. routine now. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I love your book. Thanks for writing it and being out yeah. there advocating for women and nutrition and performance and all those things. Casey, thank you for your time. This has been wonderful. I appreciate it. Now go get on Swift and hammer, hammer it. I know. I have to get on there and do a VO2 max workout now. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 